0: Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. A community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, as we wrap up this series, Made for More... And we've been just having this just incredible time just walking through and, and realizing how the Lord made us, how he created us. And uh, last week, while I was out doing the half marathon, I was calling on Jesus' name and uh, had a wonderful time. There were a lot of SCC people there. And, uh, but if you've been with us, Stephanie brought an incredible word last week. I encourage you, if you missed that, to go to our podcast to go back and hear it. But today we're wrapping this up. Yeah, you can applaud for Pastor Stephanie. There you go. But today as we wrap it up, we're going to be focusing on the word maturity. Can you say that? Maturity. Maturity because no matter where we are, when we look through Scripture, we see this constant word of the Lord telling us to grow up. to grow up. How many recognize they still have more growing up to do, right? And so as we look at this today, Lord, speak to us. Your servants, we are listening. Help us as we grow. Healthy things grow. You've called us to this. So, Lord, show us. Speak to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the body of Christ. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And he says their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's all of you, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue Love, who speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So here, the Apostle Paul, he's laying out the goal, and the goal is maturity. See, we were made for maturity, and recently, we've had a lot of babies being born here, right? I mean, and just more to come. I mean, I... And I'm like, can I share it yet? Is it still a secret, you know? Uh, I can keep, keep really, like, 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 I'm really good at keeping secrets. But when it comes to, like, babies, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I can't wait to tell you. But when, we, when we're dedicating and when we're walking it through, no one looks at an infant and goes, they're done, right? Little Amelia, as beautiful as she is, she's not done. Even though baby Willow is walking, she's not done yet, right? She's not playing cello yet and oboe at the same time. There's there's more to do. There's more to progress. We have all these babies. No one looks and says they're done. As a matter of fact, in the early years of a baby's life, like with baby Eden right now growing up, we watch, is she growing? Is she eating everything she needs, right? Is she progressing the way that she needs to? Because we know that there's more growth to take place. That's why with young babies, if they get to wear that new outfit one time, praise God, because they, they grow past it. They were made to grow. See, the goal for a baby is to grow up <laughs> into a mature adult, which in the U.S. is 18, right? The age of 18, you know, we, we, we told our son who recently turned 18. Now you can sign for stuff, right? There's stuff that you, you can do. Although by a lot of the maturity markers here in the Western world, they say that, I, I think the last thing I heard was that the average young man in, in, America, in America doesn't grow up until there's 32, 27, 27. I, I, I know, see, now you're, you're reacting to that. Um, there's things going on by, and those are from markers right those are from markers are they on their own right do they have a job are they I mean all these things that, that are taking place in their life because we were made to grow and to develop and spiritually as a disciple of Jesus we need to recognize the same we are in the process of growing up we're in the process of maturing as well And so here in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul, he's talking here to the church in Ephesus and he's encouraging them like he has all the other churches. You need to press on towards maturity. See, becoming a Christian is not an event, right? It's not something you just show up for and you sign and you get the participation trophy and say, I'm done, now I am a Christian. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, got the trophy. It's about coming and surrendering everything in our life to Jesus. And when we do that, when I lay everything down to Jesus, that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of our walk with God. See, Jesus, he was very clear about this. Because there were many that believed in Jesus. I mean, how could you deny the man who's walking on water? How could you deny the the, the man who, who who just took a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and fed over five thousand people? How can you deny the man who was raising people from the dead, healing the sick, and doing all those things? Many believed in Jesus, but very few were willing to engage in discipleship. They loved to eat the bread. They loved to eat the fish. They loved. Good job, you raised Lazarus. That was amazing. But when it came to laying down your life, when it came to letting go of everything, their work, their friends, their family, this is where we get the hang up. And even though we talk about this a lot, we need to recognize that discipleship is not just about signing up for something. Discipleship is about taking on the way of the master. It's about taking on the ways of Jesus in order to become like Jesus, See, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, that we're to be imitators of Christ. And, and he said again in Romans 8, that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. See, we're to walk like Jesus, we're to talk like Jesus, we're to behave like Jesus, because being a Christian means you are like Jesus. It was people who, they knew what Jesus looked like, they knew the things he was doing, and they looked at his disciples and went, those are Christians, they're behaving like Jesus. What better compliment could someone say to you than go, you're a Christian, you look like Jesus. And we talk about this a lot, but the, one of the main reasons why we keep talking about it, one of the main reasons why the apostle Paul kept talking about it, one of the main reasons why Jesus kept talking about it, because I believe that today, mat- maturity is, is one of the biggest missing links in Christianity today. We have said this earlier in the series that even though 69% of those in America claim to be Christian, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit And you'll probably agree with me that when you look around and when you test the fruit the way that Jesus laid it out, are we there? And then when you dig a little deeper, we we, we dove deeper into the research and we discovered that only 6% of that group believe that the Bible is true. It's a big challenge, isn't it? There's a lot of growing up to, there's a lot of maturity. And so Paul, he's addressing this in this context repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly because you will know them by their fruit, not because they're perfect. Jesus didn't call perfect people. They had a lot of problems. I'm exhibit A. Jesus called me, not because I was perfect, but he gave me an opportunity to lay things down and to grow and to mature, and I'm still in that process. But this is the process that we're in because even though immaturity is a big problem from an influence point that we talked about two weeks ago, Today I want to focus on an even greater problem for the believer as it relates to maturity because immaturity translates to vulnerability. When we are not strong in our faith, when we're not growing in our faith, when we're not actively discipling those around us, we are extremely vulnerable. See, immaturity in our faith it makes us vulnerable. Jesus had so many analogies talking to people. He compared it to the person that built their house on the sand instead of building on the rock. That when the winds and the storms came, when you're building on the sand, when it's that, that immaturity, there's nothing strong. There's not that firm foundation. The storm is just going to sweep it away. Your house has no chance. And Paul, in this passage, he builds on this analogy by saying that, that without maturity, he says that we are like ships in a storm. Ships in a storm that are easily tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Is that relevant for today? (laughs) Right? He said, We will be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Do you know that the best lie has a half truth in it? Well, it sounds right. That sounds good, so it must be good. The best lie has one side because it sounds familiar. And for me, I believe that culturally, we are in one of the biggest storms of my lifetime. And just like a tsunami wave is often started by an earthquake, when many look at the cultural storm that we are experiencing today, the cultural tsunami against Christianity, many point to an earthquake that happened during the Enlightenment era, way back in the 18th century. See, during the Enlightenment era, there was a belief that emerged, and we referenced this several weeks ago as well, that... There was this the belief that if you could just get rid of Christianity, if you could get rid of all religion, all belief in God, then this utopia will arise. And the world will enter this great age of utopia. And those, this belief ran in direct conflict to all the data. And the data is out there about how much Christianity improves the world that we're in, whether you believe in God or not. The foundation, the principles of Jesus Christ stand. I mean, here, even here in Seattle, the hospitals that were started by so many of the nuns, so many of the practices, so many things that were happening, the scientists that brought out so much that we have today were people who believed in God. The data is undeniable, but yet this wave started coming through where God and Christianity is the problem. You know, in my reading, I mentioned at the beginning of this series that one of um, the Bible is primary for me. I start my day with the word of God, and I lay it open. I read through at least one psalm, and I say, Lord, apply that to me. And then I begin to dive into others to pull it in. But one of the other books that I've been reading that I've really enjoyed, especially in this season, i on my second reading through, is a book by Pastor Mark Sayers. And his book is called Disappearing Church. And as it relates to this culture of tsunami, he references a sociologist, Philip Reif, and he talks about his research regarding what he views as the three cultures. And I believe that this really frames where we are today very, very well. But the sociologist, in thinking about what is happening today, he lays it up by saying that there are three cultures. There's the first culture. And the first culture is, is, is a culture that believes in many gods. It's often an ancient culture where the individual believes that they are a victim to fate and that the world is full of irrational spiritual forces. And so in order to survive... The individual must obey the taboos of all these gods through turning to shamans and witch doctors for guidance and protection. In the first culture, the world can be a very frightening place and a very spiritually charged place. And the individual feels besieged by all these forces beyond their control. So it's all these many gods that you're just trying to make happy and you just hope that everything's going to be okay. And there's many movies about that that are out there. That's the first culture. Philip Reif says, then there's the second culture. The second culture, these are scripturally rooted in the Judeo-Christian ethic. They center their entire order on the worship of the one true God, the God that we worship. The whole of the universe is arranged by God in a rational, sacred order. There are not taboos, but rather sacred prohibitions and commandments that must be obeyed. And these commandments and prohibitions ensure justice and human flourishing. In the second cultures, God reveals himself through scripture, thus religion is creedal. The individual finds peace, security, and faith by worshiping God and obeying his commands to the world. And as we look at this from a missiology standpoint, as far as from reaching this second culture, this this Christian worldview has been very successful in reaching first cultural context. And I believe there's a graph that we can throw up here. Because one of the reasons why the second culture was so successful because there were so many bridges that when a second culture is trying to communicate to a first culture, you're communicating to a culture that believes that yes, there are gods. They may believe many gods and the false gods, but yes, there is a God. There's a, there is this, this way that we we've, we've been created. There's a belief in the importance of worshiping these gods. And there's also a belief that this life is not all that there is. And so even though the first culture may be worshiping false gods, There was so much common ground to build upon and communicate to the gospel in this culture. And and we see this even in that first century as Paul, he would go to places and he would say, you know, you're you're worshiping the unknown God. Here's the real God. And there were many that would come to faith throughout the course of the early days of Christianity. But as a result of the Enlightenment era... era, uh, Philip Reif believes that the West is experiencing what he refers to as a third culture. And this this is the culture of of today that he points back to the Enlightenment era. He writes, the third cultures exist primarily to to define themselves against second cultures. So it's being defined against Christianity. They believe in no greater truth. There is no sacred order. And instead, their energy is devoted to deconstructing the sacred. They have no creed but heresy. And their cultural power is centered on transgressing the sacred commandments and prohibitions of the second culture. The only authority is found with the individual, thus there's no possibility of a sacred order. And then he writes, all the authority in this culture that challenges and restricts the autonomy of the individual must be leveled. That's true for today, isn't it? Anything that attacks the individual must be leveled, with no sacred order, The third culture is in constant flux as new authorities and rules appear, but are soon deconstructed. The meaning and purpose of all stories, rules, and symbols is contested and left up to individual interpretation. The third culture of the West is ultimately a post-Judeo-Christian culture, not reverting to a pre-Christian paganism, but rather is a culture bent on disfiguring the second culture. And then Mark Sayers notes that Reif, who was Jewish, he noted that the third culture was created by post-Jews and post-Christians who no longer had a grip on the commanding truths of God's word, that they were intent on deconstructing their former faith and heritage. Therefore, the mode of the third culture is the deconstruction of all modes. Nothing is solid in the third culture. It is a ghostly world that corrodes against anything solid. Now, I know I just said a lot in there. But basically, it's the recognition that that the culture that we're in today, the culture we're experiencing, this third culture, is a culture that is set against Christianity. It doesn't have any of the beliefs of the first culture. And so what that means for us is that from a missiology, from a reaching, we're all called to be missionaries, we're all called to reaching out. As we reach out to the third culture that we sit in today, I think it's important that we recognize that it has some unique challenges and it also has some unique dangers in it. Because while, while Christians are actively seeking to reach the third culture, we're recognizing a greater emphasis from the culture that we're reaching that as we are trying to reach them, they are also trying to reach us. Have you experienced that? I've experienced that in a lot of different ways. In a lot of different ways. You see, unlike the first culture, the religions of the first culture, they rarely seek to reach out to the second culture. There may be little small things here and there, But the third culture is very aggressive in reaching towards the second, which is the Christian culture, and with great success. This worldview has penetrated education, has penetrated entertainment, uh, the business world, relational, and even the family structures. The third culture is especially effective with immature Christians, those who are not firm and convicted in their beliefs and their pursuit of Christ. And I bring this to you today to some of you, it may be stating the obvious, but I think it's important to recognize that the culture we are in today is set against deconstructing Christianity in a very aggressive way. And we see this manifested in a multiple of ways. My kids have experienced this. I've experienced this. And what we're seeing is when, when we even look at the research, the Bible's very clear on it, but the research that we look at is is we've seen now for decades this massive falling away from Christianity, and we've especially seen it in that 18 to 25 to where once people leave the home, once children leave the home, there's this affront. But I would say that affront is happening even sooner than that. It's no longer waiting until they get off to college. There's an affront that happens in our high schools, in our junior highs, and in our elementary that I've seen and experienced and my kids have experienced firsthand. It's very challenging. But Paul was experiencing this even back in his day. See, immaturity was a topic that Paul constantly addressed to the churches that he planted over and over again. I mean, when you, when you read the words of the Apostle Paul, you would hear him say things like, you were running the race so well. What happened? What happened? And in Hebrews it says, You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things of God's word. It's not very often that Paul calls people names, but he says, you are like babies. (laughs) He said, you're like babies who need milk because you can't take the solid food. And as a result, we see this massive cultural decline because we're so easily tipped over. We lead into relationships because we're lonely and we're easily tipped over. We're afraid to say anything at work that would jeopardize our income because that's this very scary thing and we're we're pushed over. We have family members. We have people that we love that we care about. And see, Jesus, he warned about the dangers of, of immaturity as he talked about the parable of the, of the sower in Matthew 13. He said, he said, some of the seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But he said, when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, he said, they withered because they had no root. There was no root there. Have you ever tried to grow grass in the Northwest? My mind went to just a heartache I've experienced with that venture in my life because there's no root. I can water it and get it green for a while, but as soon as it stops, it's gone because there's no root. See, we need to recognize that we are in an area particularly, I love Seattle. My heart breaks for Seattle. I love the people of Seattle. I love being here, and I thank God that I lived here and i am i'm dedicated to her i love it but it is a hard soil it is a very very hard soil so how do we address this epidemic of immaturity that we have how do we stand strong in the midst of this culture of storm that we are in today how do we stand strong in the midst of it Well, I believe the Apostle Paul, he lays it out because he doesn't just lay out a problem. He also, he pulls in the truth of God. And and here's the answer. The answer in Ephesians 4.15, he says, here's the answer. That as a follower of Christ, you need to speak the truth, but you need to speak it in love. So you, you you need to speak the truth. You need to know the truth. You need to speak the truth. But you need to speak it in love. This is one of the big identification things for Jesus Christ. Because storms are inevitable. I mean, we're in a season now. We just prayed for Convoy of Hope. It was in, it was down in Florida and they're all the way up the eastern seaboard helping people who are going through storms. Storms are inevitable. This is not and this is not the it's a it's a terrible storm, but you talk to Floridians, all my Floridian friends are like, Yep, it's storm season. We're walking through and we're praying for them and it's and we're walking it through. But storms, I don't know for me, I grew up in the North Atlantic. We had storms all the time. As a kid, I, I would ask mom if I, if I could go ahead and play in the waves because I was very immature. I'm surprised how often mom said, sure, just try it. <laughs> but see, growing up in the North Atlantic, storms were irregular. They were a normal part of our lives. And if you watched on the news, you've even seen my home uh, province of Newfoundland just get ravaged on the southwestern part of that island with Hurricane Fiona. But in the time leading up to it, because I still watch the news from back there on YouTube, You would see sailors and fishermen they saw the storm coming and so many they would pull their boats but most of them did two things they would find a safe harbor a place that was sheltered from the storm and they would launch a very strong anchor see they knew that there are storms that their boat cannot withstand this wasn't a time to go out and just prove how strong you are or what a great captain you were. A great captain can look at the storm and recognize, I need to take necessary precautions. Paul referred to these precautions as truth and love. Speak the truth in love. We're to grow in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. And here's what, here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that you need to know the truth, but truth is only found in God. It's not found in anything else. It's not God plus this. God does, does not cohabitate with anything else that is around It's it God and God alone because he's God. And a lot of times I think we fall into the f- false assumption that, well, maybe I'm God and maybe God needs to be more like this, but he is God. He is the only possessor of truth. He is in charge of everything. He is sovereign, and we are living in a time of grace. Because the Lord is speaking in love to pull us all towards Him. But He is Almighty God to be honored, to be revered, to be worshiped. But truth is only found in Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He said again in John 17, He said, Your word is truth. In John 8, Jesus said to the Jews, He said, who had believed in Him, He said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is God's truth. This is why my parents worked so hard to give me a strong foundation. My parents, from the very beginning, they told me where I came from. You came from God. And they told me that the source of his truth was found in the Bible. It's the word of God. And they said, you need to study it. You need to, you need to teach it. You need to live it. You need to apply the word of God. This needs to be hidden in your heart so that you won't sin against him. You need this. It's amazing how, when my mom was was correcting me, I was going to say discipling me, but it was a little bit sterner than that. She would often preach the, she would often say these scriptures. She would often just lay them in, and I know that some people can use scriptures as a hammer to go through. That's not what she was doing. She was pointing to the truth, and she was laying it, and she was embedding in that. And then she told me where I was going. We we grew up. We were always singing about heaven. We were always talking about the second coming. They were telling me that you were made, Dwayne, to spend eternity with God. And they were very clear in telling me, how do I get there? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. And if you're listening to this today, and maybe this is all new, all new for you, you may say, well, why do you keep going into the Bible? Why do you keep leaning into it? I believe that the body of Christ and the church needs to have a firm understanding of just how strong the Bible is how strong the Bible is. The Bible is the strongest document that the world has, period. And I encourage you to check it out. Don't check it out from from movies and from blogs and all those things, but dive into the data because when you check it out, the manuscript evidence, the archaeological evidence, the eyewitness accounts, the corroborating accounts from non-biblical sources, the literary consistency, the prophetic consistency, over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from multiple authors. The expert scrutiny, the expert scrutiny that is accepted by some of the greatest leaders throughout history and the world have attested to its truth. And then there's the undeniable global evidence when you look into the impact that it has. See, the Bible has had a greater influence on the laws and on art and on ethics and music and literature of world civilization than any other book written. Nothing else even comes close to it. Christianity, as set forth in the Bible, is responsible for what many historians will say is a disproportionately large number of the humanitarian advances in the history of civilization, in education, in medicine, in law, in fine arts, working of human rights. And we are in a time when we need to research it because it's not being told to us. But it is undeniable. Check it out, research it, go to good sources. Because it's being hidden. The Bible, it changes lives. The word of God changes lives. I had a friend of mine come through from the American Bible Society. And he's, I, 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 he, has this, he has this really cool title. He's over like biblical intelligence or something, <laughs> something like that. And he was talking about that. They're doing this research that's getting ready to come out. That they found that, that people, no matter what background they've come from, that when they, live, when they take the word of God and they read it, he said, it doesn't matter. He said, think of the craziest things when they were coming, but if they, if they just read the Bible, it changes their life. If they just read it and study it and start applying it, it is undeniable the changes that take place in their life when they take it as God's word. Just reading it, it is unreal. So when someone says to you, And they try to question it. Here's my encouragement to you. Ask a few more questions. Lovingly. Lovingly. Have you researched it? Have you gone in? Have you looked at the archaeological studies? Have you looked at, I've heard all kinds of strange stuff, that most of what I've done, a few questions in, all of a sudden they start falling apart where they're like, wow, I didn't know that. So much I could talk about that. But we need to reclaim the authority of God's word, the Bible. Don't cherry pick it, right? When you hear little things in, 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 the, in the Bible, it's, all, it's, it's just cherry picked. And it sounds good because it's a movie, so it's all planned. There's nothing to come in and to rebut. It. it is true. And so he's saying, speak the truth. You need to know the truth. Get it in you. Get in a group. There's so much resources. But then he says, we need to speak it. See, we need to speak the truth. The truth is alive. The truth is real, whether you believe it or not. But it comes alive in us, in our context, when we speak it. When we live the word of God. When we're throwing it out there. Not like a hammer that we're coming through, right? And just doing, you know honor your elders, respect your elders, love pastors, you know. We start making stuff up. (laughs) Hockey's the greatest, you know. That's not in there. We need to know the word of God, but we need to speak it. The Bible's clear, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And I'm telling you, there's so many times that I've prayed, even today, wasn't feeling great today, was praying was praying was praying and there's times when i'm praying and i'm speaking the truth and I'm reading the bible there's times i get all the heebie-jeebies and stuff and i feel great and it feels wonderful there's times that i'm praying and i don't really feel anything i'm, I'm just i'm doing what i know to be true and i'm praying it out but here's what happens the minute i step there is something special that takes place it's supernatural it's supernatural See, if we are led by the, by the truth to the point where if I don't feel a certain way or I don't do it, when you're in a storm, when Jesus was in a storm with the disciples, they felt nothing but fear, but they called on Jesus. Wake up! <laughs> we pray, whether we feel it or not. We, we come and assemble together, whether we feel it or not. Because when we step in those moments there's something supernatural that takes place when we pray. We pray every morning at 9.30 over. It's a small little group of us. And I'm telling you, the difference that that has made by when I step. If you see me weeping sometimes, it's often because I'm experiencing that step. I've said this many times, but Dr. Tony Evans says it so well. We don't need more faith. We need more feet. God's given us everything that we need. Jesus said you only need something the size of a mustard seed, something you'll lose in your pocket, and you'll think it's even lint in your pocket. You don't even know if it's there. But when you step, the faith bursts, and it comes alive as you walk in obedience to God. That's the maturity part. My mom and dad raised me (laughs) with a lot of faith. If we do these right things, if we lead these right things, if we walk it out, because there were some rough roads in little Dwayne's life coming up. And those of you who've raised kids, you're like, there's some rough room. <laughs> right? They love me until they turned a certain age. I was cool until my kids turned ten. <laughs> right? But you, you don't stop loving them. You don't start pouring in, you walk and you go, This is the right. We keep pouring it in. Because even when they're old and they go and they walk away, those seeds start growing. That's why in all of this, we speak the truth. We step out. We say things led by the Holy Spirit. But Paul says a key thing here, and it's a thing that was missing, especially from the Pharisees of that day. He says that you speak it in love. In love. And I think we've all heard people say, don't talk about love anymore. What they're talking about is don't talk about the love that I've seen shown to me, a superficial love. As long as I'm giving, as long as I'm paying the tab, as long as I'm doing this, or as long as they're saying words of affirmation to me that I'm there, but once that shuts down, I'm gone. That's not what love is. Biblical love, godly love, is the word that we say a lot, it's agape. That's God's love. It's sacrificial love. And Paul's saying you speak it in love, what that means is the love is on the front part. Everything is prefaced by love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the way that you love your kids. On the days that they love you and on the days they say, I hate you. What do you do? I still love you. It's not very nice. But I love you. And I'm with you and I'm committed to you. It's laying down. That's why First Corinthians 13 says, you know, if I do not have love, I'm just a resounding gong. I'm just a clanging cymbal. Now, we're not talking about the cool symbols that happen up here in the playing out, right? We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about someone who's just beating it and just going out and just going nuts with it. What do you do with someone like that? You try to, you, you try to take the sticks away. <laughs> you try to ignore it. You try to walk away. And if you can't get them to stop, then you leave. And I think a lot of times we've used false love and people walk away and like, what's going on? Well, there's, there's no godly love in it. It's just, it's hurtful. See, everything is prefaced by love. God's love is the whole point. It's the whole reason for the good news that we have because Jesus gave his life. Maturity is about us being willing to die to things. It's a love that is sacrificial. But the last thing that I want to share today is that God's love is only carried out in in community. You can't sacrifice for anybody unless you're around them, <laughs> unless you see them. And I believe Stephanie shared this a little bit last week, but one of the reasons why God gave us the body of Christ is to protect us from ourselves. Left to our own devices, we will fail. Sacrificial love is laid out as I'm around people that are different from me, different ages, different backgrounds. All following Jesus, but sharpening each other. Groups are great, you know. Our babies and board games group is getting huge because they need to be with people that are moms and dads going, How are you doing it? <laughs> Does your kid explode like that? But we need this coming together. On the times it feels good, and on the time it's like, It's tough. That's why there's such a rub. I grew up in a church that had a lot of legalism. But there were these... There were these group of ladies that just came in. And man, they just loved me. And they were like, don't look at that. Look at Jesus. I had men and women that would just pour into my life in the midst of it. They're like, "We're, we're addressing that, but... Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, so when we regularly gather together the to body of Christ, love grows and it overflows and it invites people in. This is what we need. Maturity requires people that faithfully show up. Right? It's not a gym membership. It's showing up. And it's not showing up and just going to the smoothie bar and, and just drinking protein shakes all the time and going, man, why aren't I getting any stronger? It's serving, it's giving, it's getting behind the weight machine, it's getting with someone who can help coach you along the way and grow. This is how we grow. We need to engage. We need to take on the, the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but God gave the growth. But we need to plant. We need to water. We need to invest. I mean, we're in a culture that you throw seeds out, there's even birds coming in and taking the seed before it even gets in the ground. We need each other. We were made for each other. We need to grow in the Lord. We need to continually, continually grow in the Lord, not be led by feelings, but being led by the truth of God and saying, God, I'm going to show up. Because here's the thing, all of you need it, but there are people that walk through that door, talk to Krista. We're giving away a lot of Bibles. We're giving away a lot of stuff like we haven't before, and they're here. And we may connect with them. They need all of you. They need you reaching out. They need you inviting them out. They need you saying, "Hey, thanks for you want to grab a coffee this week? What's going on in your life? How can how can we get together?" See, I drink a lot of coffee with people, but God's not calling me to take, eat drink coffee with everybody. He wants you to do that as the body of Christ. One hand doesn't lift up everything, it's the body working together. Everyone lifting, everyone walking, everyone speaking, everyone sharing. This is the truth of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Speak, Lord, your servants, we are listening. We are in a season. God, I pray that we wouldn't grow weary in well-doing when we step on hard soil. Lord, show us what you would have us to do, how to till the soil, how to love the soil, how to water the soil. I pray that you would fill us and empower us to not grow weary in well-doing, but to step out and empower by the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to reach our city. That's not something that we can do. This is your work alive in us. We need you, Jesus. God, I pray for our families today. Lord, many of us, we have kids that are not serving you that have walked away. Lord, would you bring our children back home Would the seeds of the gospel flourish in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would silence every lie of the enemy in their life and that the truth of God would rule and would reign and that you would speak to us how we can reach out, how we can help them, how we can be there with them. And God, that you would awaken the communities that they're in, that you would send people who are strong in you, mature in you to love them and that those seeds would grow, that the, that the, that the, 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 the earth that it's in would be tilled. In Jesus' name. Speak to us, O oh God. Lord, help us not to grow weary in prayer. Help us not to grow weary in, re- in responding in the ways that you've called us to. Speak to us, O oh God, in your name, in your name. We always have these response questions. Where am I on the path to maturity, right? Am I a baby? <laughs> we have some babies here. Where am I? What changes need to take place? What changes need to take place? Put that mirror up in front of you and say, Holy Spirit, what needs a change in my life? I do this all the time. What needs to change in my life? So that I can grow in you. Just give that to the Lord right now. Now let's just give the Lord thanks. We give you thanks, oh Lord, for your forgiveness, for showing us how to love, For your healing, for your restoration, that even in difficult circumstances, even in the storms, Lord, you are with us. Be with my friends today. Be with the body of Christ. Be with my family today. As they go, may they walk as men and women who are filled with your power. Men and women that are filled with the truth of God. And may we be filled with the love of God. That as we speak the truth, it would be all in in love, prefaced by love. So we need we need your intervention in our life. Show us how to walk. Show us how to talk. Show us how to listen as we reach out and love, love shorelines. We love Seattle. Love Mount Lake Terrace. Love all the communities, Bothell, all the communities around us. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Thank you for being with us today. Here's our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.